Today's episode is brought to you by DB. DB is a Scandinavian brand that makes backpacks and bags to help people on the move stay ready for anything from the streets to the peaks. DB's gear is travel tested by some of the world's best athletes, adventures and creators. As a frequent traveler, I'm always looking for great bags and DB meets a lot of my needs. We at Immigrantly are teaming up with DB to exclusively offer our listeners, our Immigrantly listeners, 10% off your next purchase by using the code POD10. And I repeat, POD10 or going to the link in our show notes, DB, it's time to move on, time to get going. Hey listeners, it's Sadia Khan here with a very exciting and out-of-the-box episode of Immigrantly. Instead of bringing on a guest, we are turning our attention to a place. Yes, you heard me correctly, a place, a physical location which many of you New Yorkers may have passed more than once. As you all know, this season Immigrantly is tapping into the theme of religion all its nooks and crannies. It should go without saying that religion can take on so many forms and meanings for different folks and communities. This episode investigates the relationship between space, religion and transformation. We wanted to pay tribute to New York, my favorite place on the planet in particular to its bold yet mysterious landscape. There are so many buildings, blocks and neighborhoods with non-linear histories and the one of focus today is the Church of Holy Communion on West 20th Street and 6th Avenue in Manhattan. While it was born as a place for worship, it saw itself through various incarnations the most notorious of which was Limelight, a star-studded club in the 90s. Weird, right? But as we excavated this building's past and present existences, we couldn't shake off this thought that every one of its transformations had religious undertones. We wanted to share these findings with you and... My hope is that you walk away from this episode with a newfound appreciation for our built environment and the religious manifestations that subtly happen in it. Picture sitting in a church where the echoes reverberate of the walls, ceilings and stained glass windows. Pastor at the pew is sharing a sermon that resonates in ways you did not expect. While this is by tradition understood as a service for a Christian congregation, we are asking you today to take that sensation, that visual, and imagine it elsewhere. Because we are convinced this pull 
this spiritual experience does in fact happen in other settings. Unexpected ones, if you will. By Merriam-Webster definition, religion is, quote, a commitment or devotion to religious faith or observance, end of quote. But it also can be a personal set of attitudes, beliefs and practices held with ardor and faith. In other words, if we are to draw a line between the private and public aspects of religion, a pattern emerges where by way of our personal interests and principles, we then gravitate towards groups and institutional establishments of similar people. Sound familiar? I do have to acknowledge that some of us fall into religion by birth and culture, like myself, while others discover it during their lifetime. Such nuances impact our understanding of religion in relation to ourselves and to our surroundings. But today we are bringing you a story about the Church of Holy Communion on West 20th and 6th Avenue. For my New Yorkers out there, you've probably passed by the establishment many times without even a second glance. Built in the early 1940s, the Church of Holy Communion in Flatiron served as a place of worship for local Episcopalians. The building was designed by Richard Upjohn to bear discreet Gothic characteristics, a style which many view as the architectural epitome of Christianity. For a century or so, the church was a holy space for Christians to congregate, worship and pray. More than that, in light of what is bona fide to organized religion, I would argue, it was a sanctuary for people like us to process and make sense of things outside our control, which was then a rapidly changing city and landscape. In the 1970s, the church experienced its first of many transitions. The building became a drug rehabilitation center and then soon after was sold to Club King Peter Garcian in 1982. So instead of the hum of wind instruments in harmony with whispering prayers, now picture fists jabbing at the air and sweaty bodies jumping under loud strobe lights. Garcian turned the church into a club. Not just any club, the limelight, where A-listers, rowdy youth and Manhattanites flocked to experience the next wave of music, fashion and culture. Limelight was notorious for its drug use and underage partying, but beyond the confines of such criticism, it was also a space of expression and socialization. By nature, these partygoers replaced traditional religion with other activities, arguably with the same fervor and communion typical of Sunday Mass. They were from all over. Precocious teenagers, New York City diehards and celebrities like Andy Warhol 
Guns N' Roses and Yoko Ono. One would have also run the chance of kicking it with Madonna, David Bowie and Mick Jagger. The list goes on and on. In an exclusive with E.T., RuPaul from RuPaul's Drag Race revealed he met his husband at Limelight. Apparently, his husband was, and I quote, dancing like a crazed person. I went over and said, what are you doing? Unquote. If anything, this goes to show love happens sometimes in the most unexpected places. <laughs> Leading the hype around limelight and this oh-so-avant-garde scene were the club kids, the it group of youth party promoters who made an art and living out of their capers. Here is Jenny speaking to her experience as one of the club kids. I think most people are looking to find their people, their community, their tribe. And I was always fascinated by counterculture. My mother is is another wild child and a woman who roamed the streets of the Lower East Side looking for trouble um, and interesting people. And so I think I was really taken by the fact that this group of people found their chosen family. They created family because most of them were thrown out of their families, whether it was because they were queer or trans or just really different. And they found each other and they they made their space and they could be as wild and out there. And instead of being demonized, they were celebrated. And um, And I was one of them. Raves would start as early as 8 in the evening and last until 6 or 7 in the morning. To say West 20th and 6th was on the brink of an indescribable energy would be an understatement. Trekking into this territory meant opening one's self up to a community like no other. One that welcomed raves and performances into collective consciousness. I remember when I was maybe 17, I was in limelight and I was in the middle of the dance floor with these pulsating lights, with the bass, with throngs of hot, sweaty bodies moving. It definitely kind of felt like a primal experience and whatever kind of this spiritual kind of almost like a, I felt like I was levitating at one point and the collective energy of all of those humans just in total bliss and with wild abandon in a space that is so extraordinary with the stained glass windows that was definitely at that moment I was, I was definitely, I was at church and I felt the Holy Spirit. Limelight closed in 2001 only to reopen under the name Avalon, an attempt to replicate past techno beats in a vastly different decade. It was a short stint, to say the least. Since the club's closing, the church has become seen as this transient and unlucky 
commercial property, which lives to serve as the skeleton of many other flops from an urban mall to several restaurants. In 2014, however, a David Barton gym moved into the space. Known for its swanky lighting and atmosphere, David Barton of all gyms seemed to be most in tune with the thematics of the church's infamous past life as a club. The cyclical failure of businesses continued, however with David Barton closing all its New York locations in 2017 due to competition from more catered fitness sources like SoulCycle. Here's the thing, while there was a lot of hype that went into promoting and also attending a gym outlined by centuries-old buttresses, the implications of general fitness culture and this piece of history should not be lost on us. Something should also be said about the religious plurality, which happened here and is ongoing elsewhere at other fitness centers. The rise of various spiritual identifications, even it has to do with pushing yourself physically and mentally to new heights. Through social groups, spread by exercise classes, demonstrates a cultural shift in the making. After all, aren't common motives and morals the backbone of organized religion? What if the moral is staying healthy, being fit, or changing one's life from the outside in? For a gym to inhabit what once was a church is to show that like us, Physical places are not defined by their past, but nonetheless carry themes from them. I would like to think a lot of folks have found strength and purpose in their fitness habits and communities, so much so they see it as a devotion they practice every day. Similar to how one sets goals for that next workout and relies on teammates to train and cheer them on, Bible studies, fellowships and other religious cohorts evoke that same support and dependence. Now before you get all judgmental, we are not equating an Equinox membership with that of a congregation. Rather, we are challenging ourselves and you, the listener, to consider how the concept of religion has shifted and expanded. The church at West 20th and 6th is an answer. Just as physical space changed with time, the socio-cultural identity of that space could too. The church continues to draw business moguls despite the slew of failed ventures that we talked about. The bait is its paradoxical history and sense of rebellion. We all want to be the special one to succeed and the key to success, it appears, lies and wait for it, in the shampoo room which was once the dance floor at Limelight. While past restaurants did not have access to this simultaneously holy and blasphemous space, 
Julian Club, the current restaurant to serve in the building, is proving otherwise. Instead of wiping the slate clean and attempting to build something totally afresh, it is as if Julian Club sits on the edge of different pasts. I love it. The restaurant pays heed to its limelight identity with a club kid cocktail and curated photos of club goers on its walls. The rooms are flush and dimly lit, designed for intimacy, of course. Julian, the name itself, translates to determination to create change. If irony isn't the first word that popped up in your head, I would want to know what was. <laughs> Here's a restaurant trying to both honor and transcend its history as a church and club through its name, but also its ambiance and menu. Listeners, you may be pondering this fake question I still have. What does it mean for a restaurant to take the place of a church turned nightclub turned gym? How does food and eating embody religiosity or some spiritual experience of their own. When we consider the increased presence of social media accounts dedicated to fads, restaurant openings and other dietary experimentations, it's hard not to put two and two together. From the sink, and I quote, camera eats first, end of quote, to that yogi plant-based mom new to the nutritionist business, most can agree that food elicits a fanatical element in many of us, including myself, a conviction in either the process of eating, what we eat, or both. Have you ever considered why some close their eyes when they sampled the first bite of something truly delicious. The senses slow down in a way to distinguish the profile. The person tasting is appreciating something very elemental. That is a concoction of ingredients in their purest form. I know my grandmother always said, you know you've done it right if you leave your guests full and speechless. Similar could be said about how much devotion goes into selecting what we consume. Many believe that our bodies are vessels to be treated with nourishing care. There are many religions that restrict diets because it is believed that mental clarity and one's commitment to prayer or meditation are fed by what foods the body intakes. Food is in fact a means to something more spiritual, whether it's the act which surrounds it or the thing itself. In the end, if it is unholy to have establishments like a nightclub, a gym or a restaurant inhabit a prior consecrated building, is up for discussion, but not one we plan to have today. Religion no doubt has transformed in its relationship to individuals and as an institution with time. I don't believe it can be as narrowly defined as it was, say, 100 years ago 
and limelight, or rather the Church of Holy Communion, is a literal metaphor of that development? Why not? Why not take a step back and appreciate the shapes that a physical space can take and the diverse religious identities that can come about through community forming experiences like clubbing, working out, or sharing a meal together. Thank you for listening to this very special episode about Limelight. A special shout out to Yudi Lu, our content writer, for writing this brilliant script. Don't forget to tune in next week when we will have another incredible story to share. Take care.